0: Welcome to the Axial podcast. Axial is an early stage investment firm based in San Francisco. We partner with great founders and inventors investing in early stage life science companies often when they are no more than an idea. Axial is fanatical about helping the rare venture who's compelled to build their own enduring business. Okay, Marta, thanks for uh, doing this. I think I always kind of like doing some initial talking before recording. So... Uh, Great kind of, you know, getting some more context on Invert and and talking a bit more about what you guys have been building. But maybe to start with the conversation, just, you know, tell us who you are, what Invert does.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Josh. Uh, I'm Martin, I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders at Invert. Um, At Invert, we build software to help people who do bioprocessing processing of various different kinds um, do their jobs better. Um, So very practically speaking, we build a software service tool that lets you manage by processing data um, fully from upstream to downstream, from lab scale to production. Uh, it helps you analyze that data, helps you model out what you should be doing next uh, to help improve your uh, your yields or your stability or whatever other, um, whatever other things you care about. Cool. And so
0: how did you, as a tech entrepreneur, maybe on the surface, get into... Bioprocessing, get into
1: biotech in general. Yeah, it's a good question, and it's, uh, it's a long story. But to make it short, my background is in um, in sort of more uh, non biotech. Uh, I was very fortunate to join Airbnb uh, right out of high school, which means I never actually went to uh, to school um, after high school. It was very fortunate for me. I uh, I, I didn't enjoy school very much. Um, Joined Airbnb right out of high school. Uh, that was, as, as we all know now, a, a very good outcome. And I got very fortunate there. Um, after that, I was the first hire and, and built the go-to-market function at an enterprise SaaS business called Hive that also worked out very well. And um, about 2000, late 2019, 2020, um, I was sort of a little bit of a standstill in my, in my career, in my professional life. I didn't really know what to do. My uh, now-again co-founder, Hulk and I were working on a startup that wasn't really working out, and we we're sort of beating our heads against the wall, and COVID rolls around. And both Hulk and I feel fully useless for not knowing what to do with ourselves. You know, we don't know how to invent a vaccine against this thing or uh, build a respirator out of uh, motorcycle parts from the garage or, you know, anything of use. And so we ended up building this COVID tracking app. Um, for Denmark and, and for Sub-Saharan Africa, this open source project that uh, before there was such a thing as contract tracing or um, or COVID testing outside of, of PCR, we would ask people twice a day for flu-like symptoms and then hand that data over to government um, to try to uh, help make resource allocation decisions on the margins. As it turns out in retrospect, that is not at all what uh, <laughs> what ended up mattering in COVID, but at the time in, in what, early February 2020, that seemed um, very relevant. And so Hawker and I um, ended up spending six weeks building this project. Uh, We get thousands and thousands of daily actives. It's a a very successful project for for some definition of success. Uh, But more importantly, by the time it was done and we had handed it over to government and so forth, um, we sat down and it had been a whirlwind six weeks of of being on the news and uh, hundreds and hundreds of volunteers, um lots of legal threats around liability and of um, of gdpr and so forth and it's the hardest we'd ever worked made no money it actually cost significant personal money and it was the most fun we'd ever had and so it became sort of very evident at that point that that the next if we spent the last 10 years or so of our careers using bits and bytes to coordinate pixels and on, on people's screens that the next 10 years or 20 or for, for my sake, the rest of my life uh, will about, be about using bits and bytes to coordinate atoms in the real world. Um, luckily, through that process, we got to know a lot of biotech people, especially the, um, the people in very senior leadership at the big Danish biotech companies. Uh, we're both Danish by origin, uh, Nova Symes, Novo Nordisk, these companies. And through that, um got to spend a lot of time in that world. And I spent all of 2020, 2021 um, angel investing in Real especially industrial biotech businesses, and fell in love with the world, fell in love with um, the people in this world, and started thinking about what types of problems could be solved with uh, more of a more for tech mindset. And so do that process of you know, doing a
0: project with your future co-founder or even past co-founder as well, discovering, you know, doing just helping science or maybe the physical world, as you put it, atoms is is. is more rewarding or not exciting it's also very exciting how did you do that process of angel investing and then doing that project Hone in on bioprocessing as a big enough problem to work on um, yeah maybe potentially devote
1: a big part of your life to yeah well so, so the very practical thing that happened here is that i kept being in these meeting rooms um either in board meetings or in pitches and as I'm sure you share this experience um, of being talking to these absolute heroes of civilization who are um, a lot of these are sin bio companies, right, who are say things like um, uh, we can make spider silk using fungal cells. And if we can make spider silk at a low enough price point that we can um, replace a lot of use cases for steel and, and, and that will have a great environmental impact or um, in therapeutics companies. We can cure XYC, an investor in a company that just sold to L'Oreal that um, very much seems like they have a cure for acne um, in a a probiotic product, and kept being in these meeting rooms with these absolute geniuses and, and heroes, and then leaving the meeting room to cross the hall to go into either a lab or a production site, or pilot plant maybe, and seeing all these like 2008 Windows computers, tower computers with, you know, the password stickered on a little sign that says do not update because the mass spec machine doesn't doesn't talk windows vista and uh (laughs) just this fully arcane um technology stack which i kept having this repeated experience of um of feeling like we were these people are like bruce willis and armageddon fully just you know trying to save the world both from a human health perspective and a climate perspective and the tools that we give them are um, you know, bows and arrows, and uh, and uh, Stone Age uh, flint axes, which just felt, uh, frankly, um, frankly disrespectful to to these people's uh, intellects. So, like, I think a lot of I'm a
0: biologist, and I think we all have that those kind of ex- common experiences where, where there are devices in the lab that run really old software, and you don't want to update it because you want to mess up what's already working. Yeah, and so that's maybe, you know, the historical uh, the, the reason why a lot of this stuff isn't that way. But you're somebody who's new. You don't have all that baggage. Right. So that's kind of maybe you can see this as ridiculous. Because I think as a scientist, you think, oh, yeah, don't update the software because that's how it is. And that's how it's always going to be. But as an outsider, you can call out something that doesn't make sense. But that's kind of the easy part. The harder part, how did you learn all the intricacies of biotech, bioprocessing, Such as an outsider, what resources did you use, what processes did you use to get up to speed fast enough to be able to then be serious, taken seriously in that yeah.
1: that world? Um, that's a good question, and I, and I wouldn't, wouldn't profess to be at that level yet in many ways, but um, you know, we've been very fortunate, in that we work with uh, some excellent customers and, and excellent investors. So, in some respect, we must uh, somebody must be taking us seriously somewhere. Yeah. But, um, but you know, we the part of our teams who are who are coming from a tech background, not a biotech background, know not just enough to be dangerous, and we're very sort of acutely aware of avoiding uh, what I think of as a pitfall, which is a certain amount of arrogance or, or, or an which comes from uh, coming from tech where uh, where everything is very modern and, and and where it's very easy to look at biotech and think, oh, my God, this whole industry is, is in the 80s or, or at best and, and sort of um, bring a little bit too much of an arrogant attitude into that. We, we're very sort of acutely aware of avoiding that. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, I know a lot of this point about the world of bioprocessing. Uh, about the market dynamics, about who the players are and and how they fit together. But you couldn't in any way, shape or form, let me lose in a lab and have me be productive, right? That is just not uh, what I do and it's not um, uh, what my co-founder, Holger, does, who's our CTO. So, like, I mean, just like like the basics of it, like did you just like
0: read a bunch of books or like uh, like case studies? It just, I think it's very, I would say this, it's very easy to learn about science, get a textbook. But to actually learn about an industry, it's actually rather tough. Uh, yeah, to learn about any industry because there's no really good books written about business, in my opinion. How did you go about practically? Did you like maybe maybe your co-founders or advisors you brought on bring the expertise? But even for you, like, were there any kind of standout experiences or materials that mm-hmm. helped you like make a big leap in your like just understanding of like biotech?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I'd say there were definitely individuals. I don't know that there were any materials in the exactly. in sense of books or articles or whatever. Um, we were very fortunate, as I mentioned earlier, to make very close friends with um, very senior leadership and especially uh, recently exited senior leadership at, at this Danish company, Novo Science, which is, uh, to your listeners who might be unaware, is a very large um, Danish bio-industrial um, company. And uh, a few of our good friends used to be the CEO and, and, and chief scientific officers there. And um, between them, they've probably seen more bioprocesses get scaled over the last 30 years than anyone else on the planet. And so in many ways, the first few years of, of um, our entering biotech were just litch under those types of people, hearing their war stories, um, asking a ton of questions. Um, and really trying to grok how each piece in in this value chain fits together. Um, I, I think that really was the path. I don't think that there was any real shortcuts. Yeah. Um, and I and I also just for the record will not at all um profess to to have sort of traversed all that that ground yet. I think just having the right people around the table. That's the hard, it's, it's harder than you think. I think
0: you got. from listening to you seems to like a little lucky because I think most entrepreneurs I interact with, they get the wrong advice and then it's like, they get the wrong person and they get brought down this wrong track. That's a whole other conversation about how to avoid that. Yeah, but I okay, think okay, that's so, exactly right. That's so you know, you're grateful that you've had some great people in your network. Uh, how did you go about then defining your problem? Because you have this whole broad landscape of biotech, biomanufacturing, manufacturing and it's daunting. It's most do anything. Yeah. How did you go about saying this is the narrow problem we want to solve, and then what is invert? What is invert building to like kind of solve that problem? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think um, initially when looking at the field, it, it seemed to me that the thing that was la- lacking from a tooling perspective was that sort of combinatorial innovation really hasn't come online in a big way here. The industry is historically incredibly um, siloed for um, for. Uh, IP reasons, but also for trade secret reasons, um, especially on the process side, most of these things aren't patentable and they're hard to, to build defensibility around from an IP perspective. So you really do just have to be very secretive and it, it creates, it at um, it, it least to an environment where there just isn't a lot of cross org um, sharing, even between companies that shouldn't on the face of it be competitive. Um, what, what we looked for initially and in what sort of prompted us to build invert versus any of the um, multitude of other potential software businesses that one could build um, to service biotech uh, companies was we looked for problems that seemed pretty universal across all of these companies. And so the problem that Inverge solves is um, anyone who is in the business of growing cells um, either to take those cells and sell those themselves as a product um, or to have them metabolize something that uh, is a molecule of interest that you're then going to clean up and sell as a product. This could be uh, an industrial product, it could be an ingredient, it could be material, or it could be a, a therapeutic. Um, if you're in that business, generally speaking, you're in the business of reducing your cost of goods sold. Um, reducing your cost of goods sold as a company that grows cells for a living is basically figuring out how to optimize the parameters of growing those cells and cleaning them up um, that uh, will lead to, uh, to sort of a an efficiency that is as close to the carbon theoretical um, sort of maximum flux you can get to. And what we observed early on was that from beer to biologics, that process of going through that design, build, test, learn loop of optimizing your your cost of result is really the same thing from a data perspective. And so we sort of early on realized that if we just build for bioprocess, we can sell across a very, very wide slew of the industry um, it's still a vertical SaaS, you know, it's, it's still a, a, it's a narrow part of the economy, but in terms of the molecules that our customers make, it's incredibly wide um, relative to a lot more specialized SaaS tools, which also are around. That makes sense. Just finding a problem set that, that is universal enough,
0: so you're not only servicing like a small set of customers, and it's also, there's a lot of growth, you know, there's on one end of the spectrum, there's like Jason from Ginkgo, of grow everything yep. as an end state. But it's also the base case, which is like, yeah, we need fermentation to make antibodies and all these drugs. And, and, and a big opportunity is there's going to be something like in, by 10, 20 years from now, oh, I have the data right here. I was just reading about biosimilars. Um, there's going to be something like by 2039, um the, the 2029 by a similar market's gonna go for like from 10 billion to 100 billion So
1: somebody's mm-hmm. gonna need to make those. Yeah, and even that's optimistic or or that's sort of an impressive number. But even then I would um I'd point out that I th- think that the error bars on those things are very, very long. Um meaning making predictions about technology is just incredibly hard.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, I think as usual, we sort of underestimate what we, can, what we can, or we overestimate what we can do in a year, but very much underestimate what we can do in 10 years in this industry. And um, and the bet that we're sort of making here that we thought about making early on was that um, historically when, when a bioproduced equivalent to a petrochemical or an animal agricultural product comes online, they gain market share incredibly fast as soon as they get to cost parity or quality parity, um, sort of quality adjusted cost parity. With the historical equivalent, and you'd much rather sell to that business the day before if they fully take off than the day after. So it feels like we're sort of selling into an S curve that mm-hmm. is already bent, but where the baseline is already everything that gets made in bioreactors, which is, you know, from from biologics to beer, is a relatively large or, or market that we don't, for the record, sell to actual breweries—at um, least not yet. So maybe we can define
0: what inverse of product offerings right now, because it's it's. Yeah. It seems to be, like, two main parts, which is managing that workflow, managing that, like, by manufacturing workflow, analyzing that data, which is, uh, I think, tougher than a lot of people think, including me. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot more beyond that. But maybe you can just talk about, like, the key
1: parts of Invert product. Yeah. in, in the way that we talk about it internally is that um, we really want to be the system of record for bioprocessing data. Um, so if you think about by process data, there's a couple of challenges. Um, you have you have these instruments out in the real world uh, they capture data. you want that data in a central repository somewhere between different vendors of hardware, even two sort of almost identical bits of hardware from two different vendors, represent that data in very different ways. So it's a lot of harmonization, a lot of normalization, a lot of um, trying to map all that different instrument data onto the same data models. We grab data from unit ops all the way from um, shape fast, um that it then in turn at some point inoculates a production reactor all the way down to um, to a, a finished product. And what we do is take all the data, stick it in a nice web app that you can use to uh, manage that data, as you mentioned, analyze it in all the same way that you normally would in Excel or in, in Jump, um, but keep it on the same system in a way that is collaborative, both internally to your, to your own team, but also lets you share that data with your contract research organizations, uh, your contract development, manufacturing organizations, or any other stakeholders, uh, internal or external, um, that you might work with. What's been the kind of the killer feature of all this?
0: What's been the thing that like users have been just like, oh, this has changed my life? I, I have my own assumptions,
1: but maybe you just tell me. I'd always love to hear yours before, but but let me volunteer some first. The the generally speaking, um, as I mentioned earlier, our customers want to increase their their yields. That's a sort of a, a simplified way of looking at it. But they want to reduce their cost of goods sold. To do that, they uh, do some experiments, look at the data, they design a new experiment, they go through that loop as many times as they can until they, they get better. And what we do is greatly shorten the time that is anything but doing that experiment meaning the time that it takes to learn from your last set of experiments, what you should be doing next, uh, gets greatly reduced. We reduce that time quite a bit by automating data ingestion, by automating data analytics, meaning uh, because people want to look at the same data every time, we can auto-generate dashboards. We reduce a lot of time waste in um, sharing between orgs, between teams internally. Uh, you, this, You took a sample, that sample was sent to analytical chemistry somewhere, is that is that a spreadsheet that's returned that has to get merged into some master lock, or does that just get uploaded to Inferred and automatically is there at the moment that the analysis was done? I think the analysis
0: part that's just a big one where a lot of this fermentation data, when I look at it, I have friends who run these companies. I go, oh, show me some data. And it looks like stock trading data or something. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like these charts and just I have friends that work in plot hedge funds and it's like oh, oh, yeah. you just you can bring the same capabilities from Wall Street fermentation uh, you can probably unlock so many more insights into like what experience what, what kind of fermentation runs what parameters you should uh, optimize for to get you know better to yield ultimately you're trying to just you say lower cost or just get more of what you want that's exactly right and so on that point of analytics you know you, you wrote an incredible blog post about the six s's of biomanufacturing. It was like it was really interesting. I, I think it, it kind of stole some ideas from lean manufacturing and expanded them for uh, bioprocessing. Maybe you can talk about what those successes are and how Invert kind of is building software to solve those problems.
1: Yeah, listen. A lot of um, it. We often find that it's hard to find common language to communicate to our customers, both existing and future ones. Uh, about the sort of shared challenges that, that the industry faces because uh, very often they don't talk a lot between them. So we try to come up with some of these sort of simplified language that that lets people mirror themselves um, in those types of problems. And so the successes that, that we talk about in that particular blog post, though I won't take any credit for, uh, for having written it myself just for the record, uh, are, are the data sources, the sizes, silos, software security, and standards. And to sort of summarize what we're talking about, um, there is um, is that the, across the bioprocessing workflows, um, from R and D through to production, and just for the record, invert services, early R and D companies, and and companies that are in full scale production and they run their actual production on invert. Um, there's a lot of desperate data sources that are all meant to be compared but are generated entirely separately from each other. And you could very feasibly, and most companies do spend an untold amount of human resources collating all this data, trying to make sense of it, making sure that there's context in uh, this sample was taken out of this reactor at this time, and therefore the, work involved, the the actual amount of fluid in this reactor is lesser than it was a little bit ago. So now we have to adjust all these calculations that, um, that try to figure out what the current flux is and so forth. All that context ideally lives in one system so that you're not cont- continuously trying to figure out what it is that's happening. And, and that's a lot of what we talk about in that um, in that piece. Um, what parts of context needs to be uh, pulled in? What other software, uh, software suites have to be connected here so that we can pull in data from those? Uh, what types of standards like FAIR and, and, and other industry standards or FDA requirements here do we need to live up to? um are we talking uh time series as you mentioned earlier just like like stock trading we're talking long time series here um what types of these are we comparing are these apples to apples or are these oranges to apples and and so forth that, that's a lot of what we spend our time thinking about
0: i think that makes a lot of sense where just that's what makes it a little different than other spaces like genomics like you were talking about before is just there's so many different moving parts to fermentation and and trying to produce an antibody or, or cell free meat. It's everything from making sure you're compliant to temperature pH. And so having a unified software solution to uh, manage all of that. And so for building that software to do all that, how do you think about like standardizing runs? How do you think about, um, you know, you, I think, uh, one of the last features you alluded to was making it very easy for you to share your data to a CDMO or another partner. What's yeah. been the kind of the benefits or uh, your customers have felt when you have kind of standardized analytics? You can have standard formats and make sharing that much easier.
1: Yeah, there's a, a number of answers to this question, uh-huh. and I hope that they're all valuable. Um, any scientist listeners to the show will um, recognize the the time suck of creating reports, um, either for, for for managers or uh, external stakeholders and so forth, a lot of what we do is just auto generate those reports. That turns out on its own to be a very very valuable bit of of product. Um, another such example is the relationship between a uh, say a contract manufacturing organization and a and a sponsor the, the, their customer. Uh, We're seeing now, we work with a number of CMOs and CDMOs and their customers, and we're seeing now that whenever a CDMO is on advert and the customer is on advert, again, that tech transfer, that sharing of data that describes the process to be executed, gets a hell of a lot faster and shorter and more enjoyable. It sort of takes it from, um, here's this Google Drive or SharePoint folder with hundreds, if not thousands of files and and descriptions of those files and what they represent to something that's a little bit closer to sharing a Google Doc uh, in the in the sense of uh, share with Josh at, yeah, so forth. interesting. So with all those kind of product features you've
0: built out, there's one thing you're an expert at though, it's go to market. So that's the one thing you know. And so how did you think about go to market for invert? And you know, as you layer on your knowledge, learning about biotech, what what, what kind of strategy? did you find that was successful for Inverb to get some early customers? Were there particular markets that were more amenable to software initially than others in terms of sales cycles? And also, were there certain features that were more attractive to sell
1: versus others? Right. That's a great question. And I think uh, the main point to make here is that we haven't invented this particular wheel in any real sense. Um, You know, we sell to companies that make Cells, we grow cells and bioreactors. There are not that many of those companies, um, on the order of sort of thousands, right? Um, that means that we can very feasibly just call them all up and ask if they would like something like invert. I- in reality, it's a little bit more complex than that because you know you have to find the right person at these companies, and some of these companies are very large, and, and some of them might be disqualified as customers for whatever reasons. Uh, but but practically speaking, that is what we do. Um, we Initially, and I will admit to having been a little slow to sort of um, increase our public uh, image, but we initially were very quiet about what we're building, not because we're afraid that somebody else was going to come along and steal what we're building, but because we wanted to make sure that what we're building uh, was very informed by what prospective customers told us they wanted and would would make a difference in their working lives. So, the first, our company now is about two years old, and I'd say that. Really, the first year and three or four months, we're just working very, very closely with a select number of smaller um, initial customers to really understand what the gaps in their workflows were and where we can really create a lot of value that either reduces uh, time stock or time wasted or gives them capabilities that they uh, didn't have previously without going out and hiring data scientists or, or data engineers and so forth. And
0: so, on that kind of initial point of like a build up customer discovery, and refinement. I, how do I uh, like? Were there any like transformative customers that maybe helped you go from a demo to a product, or what, what type of experiences within those periods where maybe you were a little more quiet that set you up for where you are now? Um, one example is just having one customer, but maybe there's something other, something else I'm not considering. But in those early days. You look back
1: what, what kind of was a key driver for the growth you have now yeah um we always are, are in a pickle here because we for the most part can't talk about our customers yeah. and what they use their virtue uh for aforementioned reasons of secrecy in the industry yeah. but uh, i'm sure there's a couple that we can talk about and who we mentioned on our, on our website um we just published a um a case study with Sci-Fi Foods. Uh, who, uh, as you know, I believe because you are you're close to that team, uh, grows mammalian cells uh, to to make um, to make lab-grown meat. Um, they've been a very informative earlier customer to us in understanding uh, how growing mammalian cells is different from growing um, uh, microbial cells, which is most of of the rest of our customer base. Um, and again, it's a, it's just a very very close working relationship there that really. Is no alternative to just spending a lot of time talking to customers and understanding what their needs are. And and I'd love to sort of be able to provide some sort of shortcuts here, but I truly just don't think that there are any. Um, there really is nothing to do but to talk to customers and build product.
0: That makes a lot of sense. How did you not get overwhelmed, even though there's not that many biotech customers versus like enterprise software and other types of industries? How did you not get overwhelmed by the diversity and get pushed get pulled into a whole different cell types, different therapeutics, non-therapeutics, you know, how how did you, did you have, did you, when you put invert? did you feel you had to narrow your focus to a particular sub-segment of biotech? Or was it generalizable enough where, you know, my product is selling to anybody who's grown something. So uh, it, it it doesn't require that level of
1: expertise or
0: customer empathy.
1: Right. Yeah. So uh, I think that's a great question. And uh, first of all, we've done things a certain way. The jury's still out on whether or not that was the best way to do it. Right. It's hard to, it's hard to judge the decision by its outcomes. And uh, we've uh, thankfully done very well in the two years we've been around. But there's a chance that we could have done a lot better by doing something else. Right. So don't so don't take any of this for gospel. But our initial sort of go to market impulse here was that the traditional argue, sort of advice here would be to find one niche narrow down on it really win that niche and then expand from there i took sort of a counter position to that very early on because whatever niche you narrow into there i think you're going to one of two things is going to happen to you in our particular field um either you're going to set yourself into a t- t- addressable market that's too small um or you're going to end up selling only to biopharma customers. And it's going to take you a long time till you get to revenue or actually a product in use that lets you get that feedback cycle of usage and product improvement going, which is what you need. So we sort of very, very intentionally initially went after customers that were quote-unquote easier to sell to. That means um, customers in less regulated industries. We also uh, very intentionally have In the first two years of our existence made sure to land customers who work tightly with customers who do all sorts of different types of bioprocessing from gas fermentation to lab-grown meat to um, uh, traditional industrial biotech in in microbial environments and so forth like we really wanted to make sure that we were covering all of our bases and building a product that without any customization of course for all those different use cases so we think a lot about designing for the extremes designed for highly regulated uh, therapeutics environments and designed for less regulated say biopacified or or something like that environments. And the middle part will really just sort of solve for itself is is our belief here. And that requires some really disciplined
0: product design. I mean, just from knowing a few companies, Biotype or SaaS, sometimes you build something that's so bespoke and you kind of break your internal rules to get that customer to be able to like be strict about our product does this and it's selling that product it's, it's pretty hard because you know ultimately like maybe alluding to a lot of these biotech software companies become consulting businesses yep. and you know do that for a few years and they kind of maybe get <laughs> stuck um so on this point of have you any fun stories of like uh, installations or customer acquisition like did you visit some cool bioprocessing site? Because these things, if you actually visit a biomanufacturing facility, some of them are pretty cool. Like, I, there's some ones in Brazil I'd love to visit. Like, there's these massive steel things, and it's 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 pretty impressive. Uh, if you go, like, yep. there's some, there's some one in Sa- Sacramento if you go visit. Like, any any fun stories like that visiting the site?
1: that like convinced a customer or you know, fun fun customer stories? There's certainly. Um, it, it, a lot of very, very, very cool sites here yeah. um or in, in this space and they're just marvels of engineering really yeah. and, and they're truly magical. Um just to not tell the sort of the the most obvious story here, one one company that we worked with early on and we actually have paused our relationship to for a little bit, but uh, but we'll take our, our relationship back up with again is a company based in um respectively San Diego and, and Copenhagen Denmark called White Labs. Um, White Labs grows yeast for uh, microbreweries or for breweries in general. Um, meaning, they grow liquid yeast and sell it to um, to breweries. They grow those cells in these very, very, very cool bioreactors. And for the listeners, uh, I'm I'm using quotation marks here for bioreactors, which are plastic bags. Um, not in not. Don't think sort of uh, traditional single use. Uh, uh, bioreactors here that are still inside of a steel vessel these are just hanging off of really what is a glorified code rack um but they're incredibly sophisticated and uh very very uh in a very very cool way what they do is once um they're done with that fermentation process the um the bag itself will be heat welded at a, such a point where the Majority of the actual product will be at the bottom of it, and the majority of the waste product will be just above. And they heat weld it, they cut it off, they take that reactor itself and ship it to the customer. So it's completely aseptic the whole way through, and the the actual sort of manufacturing vessel is also the shipping vessel that the customer receives, which I think is really really cool. Like they grow yeast in that that IKEA bag or something. (laughs) That's right. There's a lot of there's a lot of cool labs that do uh, that use um, stoma bags for um, for for these types of purposes as well, because a vac is, is you know forty cent or, or whatever they are, uh, and they're made in the in a clean room, and are uh, generally uh, easy to handle. Yeah, you know that kind of shows
0: how easy it is to grow yeast and grow things. You know, if you, if you can get yeast to make it, yeast is not that. I I've, I've grown yeast. I've made beer. <laughs> I, I I remember in college I was curious. I I wanted to use yeast to ferment alcohol, and I did. It was like, oh, that was pretty easy. So. Yeah, people do it in prison every day. anybody can grow anything, so that's that's, that's the power of biomanufacturing. Long term, is
1: it democratizes production? But, yeah, uh, listen, I, I'm I'm glad that that the that my monoclonal antibodies don't uh, get produced in quite that way, <laughs> and that we have slightly slightly tighter regulatory regimes around around those types of things. But uh, but it does drive home, I think, a, a very important point that. Um, Growing cells is, is growing cells, and I don't mean that in any way as to diminish the the sophistication of the work done uh, at any in this industry. Uh, but it is truly astounding just how similar making a very large variety of products can be from a process perspective, which I really think it is is what we as an opportunity have leaned into. And so for invert you kind of have
0: these customers and you have they're using your software. How did how do you go about thinking about the business model long term evolving? Because you know right now the core value prop is you help customers grow things more efficiently, but there are also other big problems in biomanufacturing, especially in therapeutics, compliance. Are, you can read the news every few months. There's some sort of CDMO that's gets fined for fungus growing in their facility or something. Um, how do you think about invert evolving the types of customers you serve. I think on your website you allude to CDMOs, CDMOs being no. part of the equation. And how do you think about that product set feature evolving, especially around compliance, which which for higher value products like antibodies becomes just really really important. It could, be, you know, during COVID you saw this catalan uh where they had major delays, and that hurt no. them
1: during COVID. So. Um, how do, think, how do you think Invert expands over, over the years Yeah to uh, I, I think you answered most of that question in yeah. that um, in that uh, as we as biopharma becomes a larger and larger part of our revenue portfolio and our and the, sort of our, the number of customers that we have uh, the regulatory offerings really end up taking a lot of weight there um, there are already great um, QMS systems out there um, the quality management systems out there. Um, there's a lot of other tooling that uh, goes into this. Most of those companies, I think, do a great job. And all we want to do there is just integrate and make sure that that we stick to what we're good at, which is helping people optimize their processes. And and the QMS stick to what they're good at, which is helping people make sure they're compliant as they do that. Um, the way that we've been thinking about market expansion here is that uh, we... Have sort of moved from initially initially solving a data management problem to a data analytics problem to now a data modeling problem. Meaning, uh, we the first two years of our journey has been letting people do what they already were able to do, but a hell of a lot quicker. To now, uh, giving those same users access to non-linear uh, methods of, of, of data analytics, uh, things like off-the-shelf um, ML models to optimize uh, yields and and. Do machine or model-based DOE and all these other types of things. We spend a lot of time building product in that direction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and as you also alluded to, a lot of what we spend our time thinking about is making cross org data sharing as simple as possible. Uh, that's a lot of a, a lot of the time that we spend. It's a lot of what our users love about using Invert: uh, making different types of hardware interoperable and making different orcs interoperable. I think,
0: especially in fermentation, where you know, there are some anecdotes I have where fermenters have these like physical documents, like notebooks they carry around with the master protocols. And, you know, you have the fax thing because it's trade secrets. So they don't want to share, you know, everything. And so that's another maybe barrier, for, not for, for, for very few uh, fermenters. And these fermenters are born in the alcohol industry. So maybe they, they, they can't pet their products. Um, but on this point of uh, like, you know, you know, kind of building new features, maybe the cherry on top is AI, artificial intelligence. Yeah. But over the last year, all these new releases, they've transformed my life in some ways using these products and, uh, and figuring out my own use cases. And I think we're all other companies trying to figure out how AI can enhance their product operating. Um, you know, for Invert, have, have there been particular places where this current instantiation of AI, which is like a transformer model LLM, has kind of sped up uh, either product development or maybe enhanced the customer experience?
1: There are two answers to this. Um, The first answer, which I think is the most important one, is that uh, we have been a machine learning company from the beginning. Meaning, I think in in the very first instantiation of, of of Invert, what we truly wanted to build was if we could just go do uh, bioprocess modeling uh, using machine learning as a service, that's what we would do. And and once we started to talk to customers about that, we discovered that nobody had their data in a square enough and accessible enough format that that was a, a feasible offering. So we sort of had to build all this 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 data management tooling beforehand. Yeah. And so that's been very much part of our DNA initially. It, post post, um, post yeah. the whole LLM Boom that we've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, as you can imagine, we have what is sort of at this point table stakes features and, and functionality around uh, using natural language to from certain uh, plots or or, um, or data analytics. You can do things like ANOVAs and regressions and, and whatnot using just natural language in Invert and in a copilot has access to all the data that that you have access to uh, in your in in your um, instance of Invert. Yeah, I think that's kind of reinforces the, the the experiences
0: of a lot of life science companies the real bottleneck is um getting getting valuable tokens in ai language right structuring data that's valuable and that's
1: and then doing
0: kind of analytics and modeling on it yeah um but there's also like uh there's also biological data and there's also text data that yep. from my experience the biological data that's where you have to structure it yourself but there's a lot of text data out there, notes and stuff mm-hmm. that, in my business of venture capital, LLMs have been transformative in. Just to think, read a patent has been pretty easy for me now. And I would imagine for your customers, just be able to like structure notes, like fermentation, all scientific work has a lot of notes. And um, yeah, I think you kind of said this there are easier features to help people collaborate and, and whatnot. But, on this point of like, you know, looking forward, like what what really excites you about biotech for the next few decades, you know, and where do you see invert playing a role in like making all these discoveries happen and making 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 these like products, these biological products that go beyond therapeutics into uh, synthetic meat, uh, enzymes to help various climate problems, and like so much more.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in many ways the answer here is fairly obvious in that it truly does seem like we have, we have, as a civilization have a real shot at replacing the petrochemical supply chain and a lot of the animal agricultural supply chain with bioproduced alternatives. Um, I'm incredibly excited about the prospects of that whole technology. I think um, syn-bio, synthetic biology sometimes gets a little bit of a bad rep. Because, you know, as an industry, it's been around for, for a couple of decades now, and and you can't really throw a rock and, and hit one of the winners, meaning meaning, those companies haven't sort of universally won. And and I think people draw the wrong conclusion from that in general. I think people generally conclude that that symbiote technology isn't um, feasible. In the reality, what I think they're observing is that there are technologies that favor incumbents a lot more than startups. Um, there's sort of a, a particular set of problems that are, a little too sciencey to be startups and a little too engineering to be academic problems or academic groups. And so they lend themselves very well to the large industrial players. And, and if you sort of try to enumerate all the bioprocesses that have been scaled in the last 20 or 30 years, you will see the vast majority of them have happened at the big industrial players. And so I actually think that the industry as a whole have made a hell of a lot more progress than we uh, sort of see at the face of it, just because they all happen internally at these large companies. And I believe we'll continue to see that. And and, and I'm also hopeful that we will, um, that as competitorial innovation comes online, a lot of these uh, the sort of expensive bits of, of the of the capital needs in building a uh, bio company or an industrial biotech company gets unbundled uh, from that company itself, that we can begin to see uh, some of the startups really win in a big way in this space as well. Interesting. Okay, that's a great point in terms of unlocking all the innovation that has
0: already occurred and maybe democratizing access to these tools. You know, how do you think Invert, are there specific, other than building a great product, like, do you think there are specific things that, like, other than Invert's, like, software product, what, maybe what can you do, or what does the general ecosystem need to do to make that a reality? What what other tools need to be out there other than software for biomanufacturing? Yeah, I'm assuming cheaper DNA synthesis, um, and a few other things. But if yep. you look at the toolkit to fully democratize access to biotech, so every small company has a shot to be big. Yeah, uh, what kind
1: of what's your, what's what's top
0: top of mind for you other than biomanufacturing?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, well, if <laughs> you say other than biomanufacturing, let's yeah. start with the biomanufacturing. Biomanufacturing—that's <laughs> yeah. obvious. That's obvious. But it's actually yeah. invert, invert's doing that. So that's that. right yeah yeah i mean um i spent a lot of time thinking about the downsides of this industry growing and and some of the other trends that you were just talking about um i think while the prospects of um much cheaper dna synthesis is uh are, are deeply exciting and are going to make for a much more uh um, wealthy world in general that also comes with some very uh real downsides um if you can if there's a dna printer in every high school and um and you can download smallpox off the internet and uh, and there's a school shooting every day. It, it's not entirely clear to me that we're not going to end up in a situation where uh, where we'll have uh, pathogenic risks that are much worse than they are today and, and, and are engineered in a way that they might or might not be today, but definitely uh, are easier to, to do. I spend a lot of time thinking about that world. I think we have to, to cover our bases a lot more than we do there now. A, a lot of the other stuff that I spend my time thinking about is how to make sure that the startups that are coming online right now have the right financing options available to them. There's a large number of companies that are using equity dollars to finance things that really um, seem like they should be uh, using debt facilities of different kinds uh, that no one currently can figure out how to underwrite because they're just too bespoke to each company. I think uh, as we begin to see the industry proliferate and grow, hopefully we can, unbundle more and more of those layers of the supply chain and the value stack and sort of commoditize them and, and turn them into assets individually that can be, that can be underwritten separately so that, uh, so that each individual company doesn't have to vertically integrate from, from day zero.
0: Yeah. I think that's where products like Invert are invaluable because it, uh, reduces all of the complexity about making something into just API or a piece of software. And yeah, that's the dream. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very bad. I'm a very bad bench scientist, um, and I've always, I always dreamt about while working in the lab because I'm like, God, I really stink at this. Why can't we just automate all of this? <laughs> why can't I just like program all of this? And so that's kind of the the dream
1: of most biologists is to get out of the lab. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, however, where that sort of naivete of people coming from tech entering biotech just exactly. tend to show up, which is, oh, wait, why can't we just have AWS for for X? And as it turns out, um, servers are incredibly uh, um, fungible, and you and you can use them for all sorts of things. And it turns out that that, that bits and bytes encode uh, um, in in exactly the same way, whether you're using to represent uh, x or y. Whereas uh, the, the real physical world does have a lot more uh, variety to it, and it yeah. is really hard to turn to create elastic assets that can act in that sort of um, scale up, scale down type way that we all ideally would want for the biotech world to exist in.
0: Yeah, I think for that kind of vision of the world, it takes a fresh mind. Because even me, Trent, as a scientist, I have attachments. I have things I, just customs I acquired just based on habit. And there, it's really hard to deprogram yourself and unlearn something. And so I think biotech needs more people like you to come in and take a fresh approach. I think the hard part is learning Something really specific about the industry. Uh, I I think I think you're underselling yourself. Just listening to you and talking to you, it's just like (laughs) there's probably a lot more more work than you're leading on to. And you know, be grateful to be found some really awesome people to advise you. I think maybe that's a big lesson is you know surround yourself with people who know more than you, and you learn from them. And that's the thing to be grateful
1: for is the team you build. Um, yeah, I think I think if we're if there's anything to be really grateful for in my job, which is uh, thankfully a lot to be grateful for, it's um, and and which was an unintended side effect of my job that I wish uh, I wish that I had thought of beforehand, but I truly didn't, was is the fact that uh, my days are filled with talking to people who are so much smarter than I am. Both on my own team, we've hired the best people out of the coolest biotech companies in the industry, and. Our customers, who are truly just saving the world, um, or at least attempting to, and hopefully one day will, in, in many different ways, it's it's an absolute pleasure and frankly the honor of my life to, uh, and my co-founders as well, to be able to spend the contents of our working days engaging with people who are um, who are that brilliant, that ambitious, and that generous with their uh, with with the working hours of their lives. Yeah. that's a great way to end it. I'm 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 really excited for what Inver does.
0: And we'll talk we'll talk like we'll do another one of these in a few years to get the updates. but uh, uh Martin I really appreciate you taking the time and I think a lot of people are gonna you know take inspiration from this likewise thanks Josh really appreciate it